What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben, and we are joined, as always, by our super producer, Noel the Corsair Brown. Corsair. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Right? I really like that one. I worked on that one earlier. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> so uh, so today, Scott, we're talking about an idea that, that you proposed that I thought was really interesting and brings us into these various what if scenarios. Yeah, I can't take uh, I can't take full credit for this. One of our uh, one of our coworkers, mm-hmm. his name is Dylan, and yep. Dylan uh, is a photo editor here at How Stuff Works. Yep, and he's and quite quite, he, uh, quite a talented photographer in his own right. Oh, very much so, very much so. And Dylan and I were talking one day over the uh, the very short cubicle walls that we have, and um, he said he said, "Hey, I, I just came across this Tumblr site, and it's called." The cars that never made it, and it's fascinating. It's got a lot of really interesting vehicles. You might, you know, take a look at this for your uh, your Facebook posts and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, this is perfect. You know, you know. As a matter of fact, what if Ben and I were to go through this uh, this Tumblr page, and it's it's a huge Tumblr page. There's a, there's an endless, a seemingly endless number of entries here, mm-hmm. um, but it's just loaded with cars, like you know, prototypes and concept cars, and a few. Uh, homologation cars, you know, for racing series. Yeah. And uh, it's just loaded with vehicles that are very obscure and interesting. And uh, and I thought that, you know, if we if we were to go through that and then pick out a few that we found interesting personally and talk about them in a little bit, just a little bit more in depth than what, you know, that Tumblr page does, because it only has, you know, a, a quarter of a paragraph, you know, like two or three sentences mm-hmm. about that vehicle. But if we were to kind of dig into them just a little bit further and, and get some in- real information about them, uh, that would be something that would be interesting. And to combine with this, you know, we can try to, um, along the way, we can maybe post a few of these on our Facebook page. So you can see these as well, or you can look them up on Google or whatever. Just a ki- simple keyword search will do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been, over the past couple of weeks, you know, prior to recording this, I've been taking a few of these and posting them on Facebook. So some are going to be in the uh, on our Facebook archive, I guess. You know, right. if, you, if you scroll down the page a bit, you'll find a few of these. Um, others that we cover today, I'll try to make an effort to get them on there at some point, um, you know, it, more or less, you know, we can also post a link to the, uh, 
the, the cars that never made it site. I think also, that'd be interesting. Also, let me just interrupt for a second. Sure. If you want to check out our Facebook page, go to Car Stuff HSW. We sure would appreciate it because, uh, no guilt trip, but every like that you throw, uh, it gets, gets us a little closer to our dream cars and not being fired. <laughs> yeah, it gets us a pat on the back, you know? A like pat a, on the back. Like a nice job, guys, at the, uh, at the Monday meeting. It's a little tip in the tip jar, but it doesn't cost a thing. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I like that. Thank you. So, uh, so like us there. We never <laughs> right. really ask for that, do we? No, no, no. I, I, I feel like sometimes it can be annoying. You know, I, we'll, we'll mention it at the end of the show, but yeah. I'm sure that a lot of people who are on the internet are constantly receiving things where people say, like us on Facebook. And it's weird because this is a little bit of a tangent, Scott, but it's weird because all these places feel like they have to have these internet Outlets and ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm talking about when you see something and it's like uh, Nathan's hot dogs or whatever, which are delicious. But then it's like follow us on Instagram. So do I need like <laughs> they're going to be pictures of hot dogs, right? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, and I think around the Fourth of July, you're going to get some uh, some kind of gross pictures, maybe from their eating contest. <laughs> oh yeah, which we're both big fans. Of. Yeah, we are actually we're fans of that. As a matter of fact, we love competitive, uh, competitive eating. Rather, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I don't think I could do it, but it seems like <laughs> such an interesting thing. I, I like to kind of like make a, uh, I don't know, like an amateur attempt at competitive eating. Sometimes I'll do it with some things. I've gotten into some weird places with pizza. I once raced a dog eating an ice cream cone. What? And, yeah, yeah. I drive, well, uh, okay, here's the Different deal. ice cream cones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not the same ice cream cone. <laughs> no, I said I raced a dog. So years and years ago, this is like, this is like 25, 26 years ago, something like that. I was in high school mm-hmm. eating an ice cream at a, at a local place there. And uh, it was in Birmingham, Michigan. And uh, side of the road, uh, some owners had, had graciously given their dog an ice cream cone, which they sometimes do. You know, they'll buy an ice cream, they'll, sure. they'll just drop it right on the ground for the dog. I started my ice cream cone at the exact same time the dog did, and the dog was eating pretty fast. I thought, I could beat that dog. <laughs> and I, I went for it. I totally went for it, brain freeze and all. I don't remember the outcome if I won or not because I probably passed out at some point. It, it felt like it anyways. It was it was a bad situation. I mean, you can't eat an ice cream cone as fast as a dog. It's just not humanly possible. You can't eat an ice cream. Is Okay, okay. It was, it was a small dog, too. Let's take it to the listeners. Is it possible to eat ice cream faster than a dog? Because I think that's a fascinating question. <laughs> but going back through the the tree of our conversation here, uh, we get it that a lot of places have, you know, like Facebook or Twitter and Instagram or Snapchat or whatever people are using. Uh, we just have the Facebook and the Twitter, and that's mainly to put stories on that may not make it to air. So if you like cars, uh, it's, it's worth your time and it's free. Wait, where did we go with this already? We, we just end, we just started the show. Yeah. We're talking about eating ice cream faster than dogs. Which apparently is impossible. Facebook. Yeah. Where, where, where should we go? With uh, well, let's just go right to <laughs> where we would have began the show if yeah. we weren't, if we weren't, uh, if we weren't just kicking, kicking stuff around here. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're talking about some of these prototype and concept cars and homologation cars and all that. Yeah. And, and I, I want to point out that some of these cars and, and fantastic as they are, cause you know, you'll, hopefully you'll, you'll have an appreciation for these vehicles like we do. Yes. Um, sometimes and actually quite often, Manufacturers will build a, a production or a, a prototype car, rather, 
never really intending to produce that car. They just bring it strictly for an auto show. Like, think about the General Motors Motorama cars. Right. Features of that car end up on production cars, but not the entire vehicle. The, the entire vehicle doesn't go necessarily into production always. Right. They're Instead, they're a platform for the technology. They're, yeah. Uh, they're a demo. They're a proof of concept. A rolling test bed sometimes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, at, at best, honestly. Yeah, sure. And, you know... Other times, you know, they do build these with uh, with hopes in getting the audience reaction. You know, they take it to the uh, the Geneva Motor Show or they take it to the Detroit Auto Show and they see how people react to it. You know, is it, is it something we want to keep around? Other times, you know, it may not even, you know, on the auto show circuit, it may be removed after a few right. a, a few um, stops. You know, like it'll, it'll go to Detroit, it'll go to Chicago, but it won't make it to New York. And this is a practice that has gone on for a very long time. Uh, just for instance, uh, just a quick example, the 1938 Buick Y-Job. Ah, yes, the very first concept vehicle. Right, right, the, which we talked about in some previous stuff. Yeah, Harley Earl, right? Yep, yep. Uh, and the, like... The first concept car that actually made it into production was the Osceola, right, with Henry Leland. But this car that was a true concept car because it was never meant to be in production. Uh, but it had a lot of things that would later end up uh, being in production cars, right, especially the styling. The 1938 uh, Y-Job has that that smooth styling with the um, – you know, with like the the chrome accents and stuff, way ahead of its time. Way that's, ahead, and that's the thing is, all these are way ahead of their time. So, you know, the whole thing. You know, when you look at it, you may look at a concept vehicle and say, like, well, that looks kind of ridiculous. There's no way they're going to build a vehicle that looks like that. Maybe that was never the intent. It's just simply someone's fantastic dream, I guess. You know, a design study of some kind. Right. You know, those features or those elements of uh, that vehicle will make it onto future production cars. And that's really oftentimes the only hope for it. You know, the general shape of the vehicle sure. becomes the general shape of the, of the next generation of that vehicle or, uh, yeah. or even a different product line. I mean, maybe some stuff that comes from, you know, the, uh, uh, the Camaro, you know, concept vehicles, you know, ends up on the Corvette, you know, five years from now or, you know, something like that. It's the gist. Or now, now I guess people would say the DNA. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. So where do you want to start, Ben? We got, we got a, a list of them. We each chose a few of our favorites, I right, think. And right. uh, again, it's a big long list. So do you want me to, to kick things yeah, off here? Yeah, yeah, kick things off. All right. Uh, here's one that I found really interesting. This is the Corvette four rotor from 1973. And you heard right. It's a rotary engine in a Corvette. And there's actually a whole program, a rotary program, uh, that, that was, um, part of, well, part of GM's um, uh, focus at the time, you know, in the early 1970s, they were thinking that these, uh, these Wankel engine, you know, these rotary yeah. engines, the four rotor engine that's used in this Corvette in particular was going to go into production with other GM products. And eventually that was canceled. It was, uh, it was not really given much due, I guess. Um, but, um, in 1973, they had a concept vehicle that was called the Corvette four rotor and it was a 420 horsepower mid-engine Corvette. Now, a lot of people are, are clamoring for a mid-engine Corvette today. Right. They want kind of that supercar mm -hmm. uh, feel yeah. in the new Corvette, the brand new Corvette. And there's, uh, you know, some talk of whether or not that's going to happen. There's some back and forth, you know, with GM. And I think a lot of people do think it's going to happen. But back in 1973, they actually built one. They built a concept vehicle. And, um, again, you know, this never really gained much traction because in the 1970s, like the early 1970s with the fuel crisis going on, right. GM decided that the rotary engine idea was going to be dropped altogether. Now, they didn't lose out completely with this vehicle because what they did was they took the 
um, the engine out of that vehicle. They took the uh, the rotary engine out mm-hmm. and um, gave it a different engine, which I'll tell you about in a second. But but GM didn't completely lose out on the uh, on the four rotor Corvette design because right. they used that body again in a brand new vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I know it's funny to say, but what they did is they just really removed the rotary engine from the uh, from the, from the rotary uh, the four rotor Corvette. Yeah, and they created something that they called the Aerovet. Yeah, nineteen seventy six, right? Yes. Yeah, and so instead of having that rotary engine, it had a six point six liter Chevy V eight. You know, that was uh, it was like a four hundred cubic inch engine. Um, but eventually, this this car was was <laughs> this is amazing, Ben. This car was actually approved for production in nineteen eighty. But the decision was reversed. So as as early as 1980, it was possible that they were going to build a mid-engine Corvette. But they, uh, they for whatever reason, decided to pull back on that idea. Waiting's the hardest part. Yeah, right? I guess so. And you know, one other Corvette that I want to mention just before we move on. Yeah. And it actually happens, you know, one year prior. I, I know that the two were kind of linked together. The sure. the, uh, the the rotary vet and the uh, aero vet. But um, somewhere in the middle there, in 1975, uh, they were doing some kind of unusual one-off designs with uh, with um, you know outside manufacturers. So there's something called the Greenwood Corvette Sport Wagon. I bet a lot of people have maybe even seen an example of this, either in a museum or wherever, but there were quite a few of these made. It was a long-roof Corvette from a previous generation, and the uh, the Greenwood car was considered a one-off, but a lot of these were made, and you know, these sport wagons were made, and uh, they were made by a company called the American Custom Industries, or ACI, Right. Um, and I know that I've seen these, and I've seen one of these on the road. As a matter of fact, it, was, it must have been 25 years ago. I, I was going to say it wasn't here. No, it was like late 1980s in the Detroit area. Oh, okay. I, I know somebody had one. I've seen a brown one. It was brown, which, of all things, a brown <laughs> Corvette that's a station wagon as well. So, um, but but I know I've seen one, and I, in museums, I feel like I've passed by one before, but didn't really give it all that much of a look because I don't know. It's it's just not something that I'm really all that interested in. It has kind of that bread van style, I guess. You know, like the Ferrari bread van. Yeah. Um, but it is a Corvette wagon. Kind of interesting. Kind of not. I don't know. It's interesting, but my question would be, does it make sense? Yeah. Not, you know. Well, sort of. I mean, it's one of those things where you're giving up. Uh, you know, having a four seat vehicle and all that space to have a two seat vehicle that's a toy. Right. This one has a little bit more functionality, I suppose. You can carry a little bit more in it. Not a whole lot more, really. When you look at the size of the wagon. It's not like they extended the wheelbase and made it a huge, no. huge wagon. They no. just, just changed the back end of it a bit. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should also mention that many cars that never made it fall because of some accident or tragedy in history, right? Sure. Yeah. An oil crisis, a world war, something like that. Some cars, however, were doomed never to make it from the start. And I say that simply as an objective statement. Because now I'd like to submit for your consideration, ladies and gentlemen, the BMW Gina light visionary model. Oh, yeah. Well, this one we've seen in person. You and I were lucky enough to see this one in person. Uh, this BMW is a concept car that says, you know what cars have too much of? Metal. So let's make the car's skin, in- instead of using fiberglass or metal or some kind of even carbon fiber composite, they use fabric with uh, carbon fiber kind of skeleton beneath it. Uh, so this vehicle, it moves the way that your your pants move when you bend your leg. Like when the door is open, you can see the wrinkles in the fabric, right? Uh, the hood opens vertically uh, along a seam running down the center of the hood. Uh, this this vehicle looks 
so cool. It looks so cool. It is completely impractical. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And they try to tell you all the reasons why it is practical, of course, you know, that that repels water and that, you know, it can change for the the driving conditions. You know, it can be it can have a spoiler if you want it to have a spoiler just by simply activating a switch that, that raises up another piece of that internal skeleton that creates a spoiler at the back end, you know, where it could normally it could it could drop it off. Uh, you know, for lower speeds. Right. Um, all kinds of things like that, like the openings for the headlights, I think. Don't the headlights open up as well? Yeah, they open and close like blinking. And even in the, um, even once you get to the instruments and, and the, the dash, uh, that, that blinking fabric thing closes the, uh, closes the instruments that you don't need to see. Oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah, I want to see everything that's happening. Yeah, I don't like the uh, the closing uh, gauges idea. Right, but, but it is a it's an interesting idea, sure, and it's a it's a great design study, and it's it's uh, it's fascinating to watch this thing, you know, do whatever it does. You know, the engine opening up, it's fascinating to watch the doors open. The car and, itself, we should say, looks kind of like a Z4 Roadster. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, it's a it's a very shiny. It has a shiny surface, but it's mm. a, again, it's cloth. And how practical is that, really? I mean. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not a huge fan of it, but it, it, it's, it's a cool to look at. And to see it in person is a lot different than seeing a, uh, a short YouTube clip of it doing its thing as well. Right. Um, it was, uh, it was impressive really. I mean, when you see it, it's like, well, I could kind of see this as being a niche car for them. You know, some of the, someone that, uh, has an, uh, an interest in having something that's completely unusual, something that, uh, you can take to the local car shows and, and maybe win occasionally with. If you know? the weather's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if the weather's okay, it's that's just right. it's like again, it's a proof of concept, but it is a car that never made it, even if it wasn't intended to ever make it, which clearly it wasn't. Uh, it's a car that I would think would be astonishing if there was something like that on the road. Yeah, yeah, it really would be. It really would be. I don't think it could ever hold up to the uh, the crash tests that uh, it required. <laughs> something tells me, unless all cars are made out of fabric, no cars yeah. will be made out of <laughs> yeah, fabric. That's probably right. That's a good way to look at it. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. 
We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so the next one, Ben, that I had was the the Molar M200X, and this is from 1997, and you're going to already know why I don't like this one. It's flying car. Oh, but you picked, I thought we were picking cars we like. Uh, you know, it, picking unusual cars. And I just, a, I got so excited when I thought, whoa, Scott, you've buried the hatchet. Oh, no, no, no. There's a few here that are uh, not so great. Some, uh, some real bricks, but. You know, this is um, one of them. Yeah, this is one of them. This is a, this is a crazy car. Now, it's almost exactly like the Jetsons car. Only, this one only seats two, not four. And that's, right. the, that's the big difference, I guess. It really does look like the Jetsons car with the bubble top and everything. Right. It's a, it's a, like a 1950s retro futuristic UFO circular design. Yeah, flying saucer. Eight, eight, but instead of some sort of magic anti-gravity technology, it has what? Eight fans? It has eight electric fans that power this thing. And it, and it really does fly. This it one does hover. This one does work. It, and they flew it to, and I'll say, okay, it hovered, uh, to about 50 feet. Back in uh, 1990, or, I'm sorry, 1989, they took it up to to that uh, height. So, okay, so it's been around for a while. This company, as I found out today, still exists. You can go to molar.com and look it up. You can learn all about the engines. You can um, you can invest in the company or whatever you want to do. Cool. Now they have four vehicles. It's not just this one. Now this one, this this type of vehicle is called the New Era 200. And they also have another type that's called the Aerobot, which is an unmanned vehicle that can uh, hold a payload of like, you know, five to 650 pounds. It's a huge range, but that's cool. Um, yeah, an Aerobot. So they consider that more like a drone almost, but they can carry something. Um, also, they have, uh, there's a Model 200 and Model 400 Skycar. Now, that's a two passenger vehicle that looks more like a plane. Like yeah, a jet. yeah, and that's the one that they uh, they've been getting a lot of attention about as yeah, well. Yeah, I guess. Now that's the <laughs> there's something funny about that one. It looks much more like a plane. If I recall correctly, isn't that the one when they did the test? They had to have it tethered with a crane, and a lot of people accuse them of just simply lifting it with a crane. Oh, I thought that was the 200x. Oh, I don't know. I don't think that was it. I thought I thought that was the uh, the the sky car, but we'll have to look into that and see which okay. one it was. Okay. And they also have another vehicle there that was called um, the Firefly. Now, the Firefly is a lot like the New Era 200, you know, the, uh, which was formerly called the, uh, the M200X. Yeah. Um, but the Firefly seats four. So that was one of the problems. You know, they said, well, it only seats two people. And this right. one seats four. It's kind of like a, I guess, a, um, a recreational vehicle, if you want to call it that. You know, it's capable of, um, X miles per hour. I think the cruising speed is like 75 miles per hour. And this is all, um, you know, hypothetical at this point. Right. I, don't, I don't think I've seen any of these fly. Well, I know I haven't seen any fly. 
I haven't been able to find any footage of them actually flying, but you can go to the website and read all about the cars. So, right. But I don't know. Uh, I'm glad that you mentioned the stuff about the crane because maybe it was both the Sky Car and the crane for uh, the 200X because I distinctly remember seeing a photo of the thing and seeing a crane and as a child thinking that's obviously fake. Yeah. And then my, you know, my folks said they, well, they probably have to have it there for safety purposes. I think that was the whole thing. And the the company said, no, it had to be there. It had to be tethered for, for exactly the reason you said, but then you get a lot of photographs that show it as if it's flying. And then you get the reverse angle that shows the crane that's, that's suspending it. Now, I don't know, you know, how much tension was on that line or whatever, but it's it's an interesting little bit of history, anyways. You know, well, flying cars. Now, well, let's also say one other thing, though. That's really cool. Okay. These things, when we say flying, they're flying in that they're in the air, but they're not flying the way a Jetsons car would. They don't go near as high mm-hmm. as a Jetsons flying car, and they depend on ground effect. Right. The same thing that uh, a Chronoblon uses. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was interesting to learn about those, right? Those are huge, yeah. huge Soviet. Uh, well, I guess they'd be low flying planes, really. Yeah, but yeah, ground but, effect vehicles. Yeah, yeah, ground effect vehicle. I guess that's the way to say it. So, and we've got an episode on that if you want to go back to it. And <laughs> and by the way, you know, if you want to read a little bit more about the uh, the Moeller uh, vehicles, you know, the M two hundred X, How Stuff Works does have an article, at least a page in an article, because we have a whole big a big article about flying vehicles. And Moeller occupies at least one page, and I think the uh, the Sky Car might be in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's let's go ahead and move on to uh, something else that I I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, let's see, Scott. I've got I've got one that I want to save till the end. Okay, if that's all right. Uh, so instead of doing that one, let's talk about the Nissan Pivo Two. Pivo Two. Okay. The Pivo 2. Uh, How do you spell Pivo? P-I-V-O. P-I-V-O, okay. So the Pivo 2 is a uh, it's very tiny, like uh, smart car kind of kind of concept. Like right? a city car. Right. Yeah, it's exactly, exactly right. Like a little QB looking city car, and it has four small electric motors on each wheel. Okay. So this means each wheel can move independently, turning sideways if you have trouble parallel parking, sliding closer to a car while turning, uh, and it has a robot uh, co-pilot, so it has a robotic oh, assistant. Come on. Really? Yeah. It monitors your mood while driving, and it will try to cheer you up, oh. and uh, also uh, does like other supervisory things, you know, like proximity warning, I think, and uh, other other. Um, other like housekeeping things that some that we see some electric vehicles doing now. Wait, this is a, maybe I'm confused. This is the co-pilot robot that's doing this stuff. Yeah. Oh, that, I don't like this at all. I, I don't like this at all. I can it's tell you right two now. Two Odyssey 2001. Uh, I just don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this this is uh, going to be a concept for a long time. The the most interesting thing I think is the independent movement of the wheels. However. Uh, the thing that means this is going to stay a concept no matter what the design is, is going to be the price tag. Having all this neat, non-proven stuff in one vehicle is just uh, is, is just not going to work. Also, the whole front opens. Oh, that's kind of cool. no, like side door. Yeah, there's a few cars that have done that in the past. But, um, yeah, the, the idea that they're going to cram everything onto this vehicle all into one vehicle it makes it very, very expensive. Whereas if they take... 
Um, you know, just a, um, oh, I'm looking at a picture of it now. That's you see awful. that creepy little robot oh, head at the front? That's awful. <laughs> that's awful. All right. So yeah, the idea that they're going to put everything into one vehicle and, uh, and make it super, super expensive. That's what we're talking about is that they, they might take, you know, three parts of that and put it onto a production vehicle. Yeah. And, uh, it becomes, you know, part of a bigger system, uh, you know, that all works together. I, I like that idea. So the Nissan Pivo, um, is it? I did, are... I did Pivo 2 mm-hmm. just because I thought it was the funkiest looking. Yeah. But there are, there are two, two other Pivos. The original Pivo, um, which has a, uh, a side open door and then the Pivo 3, which premiered at the 2011 Tokyo Motor Show. Oh, so this is pretty recent then. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, Let's just close by saying the Nissan Pivo. Don't look for it in a showroom anytime soon. No, right. How about that? But it also has a. Uh, it can be the Pivo Three can be remotely maneuvered by a smartphone, Scott. Oh my gosh! How convenient! This gets worse and worse. What could go wrong? Yeah, this, this is a terrible <laughs> idea for <laughs> Nissan. All right, all right, Ben. Let's move on to the next pick here on my list, and it's uh, it's a very unusual one, and one that probably not many listeners have really ever heard of. It's called the B, and the mm-hmm. B. Uh, was, oh, what year was this? Around 1959. So we're the late 1950s and it was designed by Curtis Wright. And Curtis Wright, as you'll know, is, um, an aerospace company. Mm-hmm. And this is like kind of the way, best way to describe it maybe is it's a civilian version of the hovercraft. And so here's the problem with this whole design. And for one, the car looks like a brick. It right. looks like, it looks like, um, it, it's, it's an odd shape. It's a great big rectangle, very boxy. I mean, it looks cool looking back at it now, but at the time, think about the cars that were around in 1959. That would not really be all that appealing to somebody. No. It, yeah. It, it wouldn't have that much appeal. I mean, it's, it's interesting, but only looking back with, you know, um, kind of a, uh, a romanticized version of what 1950s right. and, and, you know, that whole retro future thing. Well, but, here's the, here's the problem. Yeah. It, we should go ahead and say that it, it did work. Oh yeah, that's the thing. This actually did hover. And this looking at did that, hover. I don't know how this thing hovered. I mean, when it you look at it, heavy as, it's, it's, it looks heavy as hell. Honestly, <laughs> it really does. It's it's twenty one feet long, and it only seats two people. Right. Again, it's very very square. It has all you know everything that you'd expect. It has front bumper. It has headlights. You know, quad headlights. It, it's convertible. Has a yeah. raked windshield on top. But aside from that, this thing is a great big rectangular box. It's a very unusual looking car. There are photos of it actually hovering. It really does work, and the military was interested in this, as you can imagine. The military bought two vehicles for engineering and operational evaluation in 1960, but the hover car couldn't deal with the rough terrain that they asked it, asked it to deal with, so they dropped the idea completely within a, within one year. So the military bought it, but they ne- didn't necessarily like it. Now, this car, this two-seater car that we're looking at, had a top speed of 56 miles per hour, which is pretty good, and that's from a 100-horsepower single engine. Later, they were planning to come out with a, a four-seater version that had two engines and 300 horsepower. Um, right. Again, a four-seater that they never got around to building. But you can find some old photographs of the B, and you know the idea that it truly worked—that's uh, that's pretty fascinating to me. I mean, it's it's it it doesn't look like it should fly. Right. And I don't know if fly fly is not the right way to say it, but it doesn't look like it should hover. Well, it looks like somebody cut the sides off of a regular car and took cut the sides and the bottom off a regular car. That's what it looks like. You think so? Yeah, like uh, to square it off almost like you'd square off a piece of cake or something. Exactly. I'm thinking about a slice of cake. Yeah, the, here's the other thing, though. It just wasn't practical. No. Like you would be paying for something that looked like it, you were getting less car for your money, more moving parts, which makes it more difficult to maintain, and 
it can't go the places that a normal sedan can go. Well, they knew the problems with this vehicle, too, because, I mean, when you look at it, it's it's comically large. There's a picture of a guy sitting in this vehicle with his arm out the window, you know, trying to look cool, I guess, in the floating car. But um, the idea was that the the mechanics of the car at the time, remember 1959, they couldn't be scaled down enough. The, the components weren't small enough right. to make something that was stylish as well. So they were kind of, uh, you know, dealt this situation you know like we've got the technology to make it work we just can't make it look good for a civilian vehicle it might be great for military application but um and not specifically this but the way that we have to design this car it's not going to look good for for anybody to you know pick it up in the the dealer showroom you know that's that's a pretty good point because it's not so much of this is dependability but also so much of it is just aesthetic yeah that's true and there's more to it than that i mean i know that uh, I, I'm sure that it probably would fail any kind of uh, braking exercise. You know, how, what do you, right. how do you brake a hovercraft all that effectively? You know, when you're in a traffic situation, a stop-and-go situation. I think I think hills play a uh, big part of this as well, Right. the grade of hills. If you're traveling through the mountains, uh, trying to ride in a hovercraft, I don't know how well that's going to work. I feel like we've talked about it in the past. We have, yeah, I think uh, we have. But, but uh, you know, it's, it's kind of too bad that this, uh, that this never came through for them, for Curtis Wright, because it's a, it's a, it's a neat idea. And it looks interesting, but uh, but again, it's just uh, I can I can see why no one really bought it at the time. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to 
a really good cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I'm going to skip over one vehicle because we've talked about it at length and we've uh, seen designs for it and you've seen the videos we posted about it in the recent past, listeners, if you check us out on Facebook and Twitter. That's the Demaxian. Let's just, can we just skip the Demaxian? Oh, very good. You know what? We can skip it. And can I mention one little thing though? Sure. I was recently at the Lane Auto Museum, Auto Museum in Tennessee. Yeah. And I saw a replica of the Demaxian. Did, uh, the, did they, you get to drive it? Obviously uh, no. not because you're still alive. No, 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 no. I didn't get to drive it, but, uh, but it was a, uh, it was a highlight of my visit. It was really cool. It was on the floor and it was a, it's a, it's an exact replica that they built. To scale? Uh, yes. Yes, to scale. It's like a full scale. You know, full-on Dymaxion right there on the Drive, floor. Drivable? Uh, yes, yes. What? Yeah. I, I. You know what? Yes. I didn't see it driving personally. I didn't witness this, but I know that the Lane Museum makes a habit of driving their vehicles. I think it's twice a year every vehicle gets That's you know, good. exercise stretched. I'm just so fascinated with the Dymaxion, but so disappointed in its performance. Yes, yes. I think everybody is, and even even the founder, really. No, he, had, he <laughs> actually not. He had he had nothing but good things to say yeah, about it. He thought it was great. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> uh, Buckminster Fuller thought that car was the wave of the of the future. Well, yeah, I mean, interesting design. I agree. I, I like to look at it, but I would not like to ride it, I don't think. So now that we've skipped it, I would like – I would – be okay with riding in it, you know, if I already knew, like, I had uh, nowhere to be in a hurry. Uh, but the uh, the speaking of, I say that to say speaking of unusual vehicles, I've got one here that I thought would be interesting, and maybe some of our listeners have heard of it. Do you remember the Volkswagen GX3? No, I don't. Concept car, uh, three-wheeler, and... Uh, it's here. Look, it oh, I'm looking like, at it now. Yeah. Oh, okay. So a uh, bit of a slingshot looking vehicle. Uh huh. Yeah. Slingshots have been on my mind, man. I think it's because there are so many more in Atlanta now. But this was uh, this was kind of like the hybrid between a motorcycle and a race car, right? And it had a 1.6 liter four cylinder engine, uh, but was still able to get to 60 miles per hour in 5.7 seconds. Now you're using past tense here. I noticed. So yes. is this, uh, is this one that is not in production? I, I haven't followed the three, the, all of the three wheel vehicles out there. I, I, I really like them, but, uh, there's, there's so many that are coming out now that I'm having trouble remembering who's actually producing one, who's not producing so one. So this is Volkswagen. And yeah. It's Volkswagen. interesting you say that, Scott, because you could have almost had a GX3. Almost. It had a shipping date of, are you ready? Yeah. Early 2007 for a little while, because it's a pretty recent car, but just before it went to the factories and in production, uh, Volkswagen said, okay, it, it might have, might, might have some safety issues. Oh boy. Okay. So this is, well, that's, that's a long time ago and we have not seen any. So apparently, uh, it didn't really make it to production. Well, I'm sure there's some one-offs here and there, right? Right. They're similar designs, clearly, like you said, remind you of a slingshot. Sure. Um, one of their designs was that it was so small and so low to the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, re- yeah. I recall, because that was right around the time when I started here at How Stuff Works, and I remember uh, looking at that vehicle thinking, like, oh, this is going to be pretty cool. If, you know, things like this are starting yeah. to come out, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Um, I guess we never got around to that one, that VW three-wheeler. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well. All right. Well, here's a, here's one that I know that I posted on Facebook recently, but still warrants a mention here because there's a little bit more to talk about. Um, this is, uh, this was built by a company in 1967. It's called the Silver Fox and it was built by a company called OSI. 
And OSI is a coach building company. It was founded in Turin, Italy in 1960. And the founder, unfortunately, died not long after that, in 1963. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the company um, didn't have, you know, once he once he died, his personal link or the personal link from the company to some of these bigger manufacturers uh, like Gia and uh, and Ford kind of dissolved because the you know it was again it was the owner of the company that had this personal relationship it wasn't like a uh, contract was set up or anything like that right. so um they kind of floundered a little bit after the the founder died um and then OSI went on you know to continue to exist for about another 5 years they they kind of languished a bit uh for about 5 years and then eventually they were absorbed into Fiat's design office or, or um, I don't know if absorbed is the right way to say it, but sort of like that, into Fiat mm-hmm. in about 1968. So OSI hasn't been around since then. Um, but they designed a, this vehicle called the Silver Fox, and this is the one that was the, the twin hull design. So the passengers sit on two completely separate sides of the vehicle. It looks like it's, it's split in two almost. Yeah. Think about it like a catamaran design, uh, except with, with wheels, and that's what this vehicle is. It had a very small engine. It had a one-liter Renault Alpine engine, which uh, was good for a 155 mile per hour top speed. That's amazing because it's such a small car, such a small engine. I understand, right. you know, that that works together, but this car had a lot of aerodynamic, um, well, unique aerodynamic aids that went along with it. It had, um, had uh, three, uh, three spoilers, right? Yes, it did. It had a, uh, a front spoiler, which was manually adjustable when the vehicle was stationary. You couldn't do that while it was moving. Um, had a middle spoiler, which could be adjusted while it was moving. And then it had a rear spoiler, which was permanently fixed. So these aerodynamic aids, along with this lightweight design, this really unique design, um, helped it to achieve that 155 miles per hour. And they were hoping, Ben, they were hoping that they were going to be able to take this vehicle to Le Mans, but the company folded uh, just a little bit before they realized that dream, and they never quite made it. So this is kind of one of those... Um, one of those unique one-off vehicles that's out there still, but never really made it to the big show like it wanted to. Yeah, it got orphaned. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And speaking of orphaned cars and other unfortunate auto-related events, Scott, my friend, the Walter White to my Jesse Pinkman, it appears that we have, it appears that we have let time get away with us and we might have to make this a two-part episode oh i'm all for that because there's a there's an unlimited supply of cars here i know we haven't neither of us have really got through our notes i started i felt like we were just starting to get going in fact it was that whole intro conversation that went way off into somewhere we didn't expect yeah i guess we learned our lesson (laughs) not Um, really we should know because we we should start with another tangent on the next episode (laughs) but before we do i want to i want to say um right now my my most favorite car that never made it uh is something that scott you already know what i'm gonna say oh i don't know if i i don't know if i do the 1938 phantom corsair dude. oh okay well that ties right in with noel's nickname for today exactly okay got exactly. it oh this is the one that was designed by the ketchup guy right the yeah, heinz rust heinz yeah the the heinz the ketchup guy call him the ketchup he's guy. the he's the heir to the 57 varieties empire yeah right? yeah what else are you gonna do build a phantom corsair so he had this, they started with a cord 810, removing the front wheel drive subprime, uh, subframe and Lycoming V8 drivetrain and mating it to an X-brace chassis. Uh, they had kicked up rear frame rails. This car is just so ahead of its time. It has so many innovations that no one was dreaming of. It, one of the most famous ones that people remembered when we, we did a whole show on it. Yeah. So I don't want to rehash it too much, uh, but we, we had, uh, 
we had a lot of people writing in about the unusual seating configuration. Oh, I love that. I love, I love the seating, how wide that front bench was. And right, yeah. Man, this car, man, that's a fantastic pick because this car is so striking when you see it. It's amazing. It was, it was used in movies. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful design. And as you said, way, way ahead of its time. There's so many elements to this car. Mm-hmm. Again, if you get a chance, listen to our episode on this car. We did a full episode on the, the Phantom Corsair. Yeah. And, uh, it's well worth your time. It's a, it's, there's so much to it and the history of it. Um, just an interesting story all around, I think. Man, and it's, uh, okay, yeah, I'm probably going to go back and listen to that episode because I love the Phantom Corsair. Look it up. It's probably the most flattering nickname I've given Noel. I've also had a lot of coffee. All right, but we're going to make this a two-parter. We're going to head out. We hope to hear from you in the interim. This is your chance to write to us and let us know cars that never made it, that you think either deserved a shot or were doomed from the start. Tell us about it on Facebook and Twitter. We're Car Stuff HSW at both of those. Uh, do your best to get your ideas in as soon as you hear this, because they might end up on our second episode. And if you'd like to email us directly, well, luckily for everyone involved, we have an email address. Yes, it, we do, and it is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at Viking.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.